0: Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. The Freed from the Real podcast is brought to you each week by puremtgo.com, mtgotraders.com, and CapeFearGames.com. You can listen to us each week on puremtgo.com, mtgotraders.com, and mtgcast.com.
1: real episode 223 with me is the commensable sebastian park oh thanks i go first this time that's great and the um immemorial kia what's up guys as ever this is the free funeral podcast bringing you all the news that's fit to listen to regarding the online game and stuff from the offline game of interest to us and there's a couple of things offline of particular interest with pro tour dragon's maze currently as we speak going on in san diego
0: so actually, yeah, there, there should be somewhere in the midst of the top eight as we are recording this, so we don't have the full results like our viewing audience does, but we do know the top eight decks and some of the things that went on in the event.
2: Yeah, for, for example, Sean Plot Day 9, had a great showing. He managed to win a match, um, and apparently he made it was a very close call, and it was, you know, it was really a lot of fun to see a uh, a real-time strategy like StarCraft player playing Magic, and
0: it's been a lot of fun. It brought a lot into the game, I believe. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, as far as the top eight goes, we have an interesting mix of, you know, some well-known names and some some new entries as well. Craig Wesco, Andrew Post, uh, Makita, Makahita Morhara, a lot of, you know, well-known players. You know, obviously, the biggest
2: storyline of the weekend, for those of you who are following, was the, uh, the main judge, Rob um, Castellon, who you know, just really mm-hmm. went off. Didn't lose a match until, I think, round 13
0: or something like that. Yes, uh, yeah, Rob Castellon had a huge run-up in the event when, eight undefeated the first day, started off, you know, swept his draft pod Went 11-0, just kind of tore people up. And actually to the point, like, you know, they started to do some interviews with him and stuff, and if you were following along on Twitter, I believe the judging community started to turn him into a magical Chuck Norris, and they started creating hashtag <laughs> Rob Castellon facts.
2: Yeah, no, I and mean, it was, it was. I know in the, uh, the Facebook group for the Northeast judges, everyone was going crazy about... Uh, Rob, Rob Castellan was doing because you know it's one of those things where uh, he won the he won he like qualified via, via PTQ. I remember the post going up you know a few months ago where he was like yeah Rob like a judge is going to represent us in from the northeast like uh, he just won a PTQ and and for him to go there bring this like four color chat deck, which you know was was pretty sick and then do so well in draft is you know great to see.
0: Now it's it's uh, interesting and apparently they were talking about the story he wasn't even. He thought he was judging this PTQ that he won, but he realized he hadn't sent an email back, but he was already planning on going, so he's like, ah, whatever, I'll just borrow a deck and, and apparently go win. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's awesome, be nice. Man. Yeah, seriously. I wish I could just decide to go win a PTQ uh, because I couldn't judge it. That'd be pretty sweet.
1: Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a great story. Yeah. Uh, couldn't judge it,
0: so he executed it instead. Seriously. <laughs> uh, but he, had, he has a really interesting deck. That he has brought to top eight. Basically, they said one of the things they talked about is that they really wanted to play um, Sire of Insanity, which is a really good card. But they also really wanted to play Voice of Resurgence, which is another really good card. And they're like, "Well, how do we do both of these?" And they're like, "Ah, whatever. We'll just play both." And turned into this pretty amazing, interesting deck.
2: Yeah, you know, some people. (laughs) It's great. Not going to lie.
0: Very cool, very interesting deck. Other than that. Some other interesting stuff. A top 8 dominated primarily by the Azorius Guild. Uh, you see there are five variations on blue-white decks. Some straight blue-white, some blue-white-red, some blue-white black Esper, but yeah.
1: Who would have thought in a block with a blue-white Wrath of God that um, that would be the best control deck in the format?
0: Yeah, with, with the Wrath of God, a card that draws cards and gains life, and the preeminent Planeswalker who has never been bad. Who knew that could that could be a good combination. Yeah, it's such a strange occurrence. Once in a million. The biggest card breaking out from Dragon's Maze would appear to be the souped up new Morphling Aetherling.
2: I thought I thought it'd be the card Dragon's Maze, which surprisingly's been I've seen quite a lot
0: actually. I mean, yeah, it's, but I mean, I'm talking talking about as far as success goes, like looking at this top Aetherling, the probably the most common card from Dragon's Maze it looks like but yeah, you're right. That that was an interesting deck that actually came out is the uh the Dragon's Maze deck that a few players actually decided to brave and go for and I uh, actually saw it on camera one of the matches where it was really interesting because against a control deck like playing the Esper deck, they just really have nothing they can do. They're like they have to try and find a way to kill you really quickly because they can't interact with your win condition at all. Um and then also interesting like if you know Rob Castellan again actually running Dragon's Maze but strictly as a Thawing Glacier-type card. Like, he doesn't have the guild gates to sufficiently win the game with them. He's just playing it, like, as a control, like, Thawing Glaciers-type card.
2: Yeah, I saw some of that. I was, I was uh, helping a couple of my friends um, play tests this past week or so, um, in between trying to graduate one whatnot. And so, a lot of decks really seem to be running Dragon's Maze. Not the win condition, but just, you know, end of turn on tap three, return Dragon's Maze to my hand, and I put a land into play.
0: I mean, yeah, it's, it's certainly not as brutally efficient as Thawing Glaciers was, but it still gets the job done. Yes, it's not it's not the Thawing Glaciers, which
1: <laughs> which would be great if it I don't was. think any card should be, again, side note. I think that card doesn't need to come
0: back. Well, it's fairly similar in terms of the amount of advantage it gives you. No, I, yeah, it absolutely is. It's just the, the mana requirements are really... But yeah, I don't think Dragon's may should have been one in tap. I think... I think 3 and tap is fine.
1: I think it's fair to say that um, a card which fetches multiple colors of mana per go and gives you a potential win condition, it's no surprise it's doing well, really.
0: Cool, And it's cool to see that it had people went with both applications, like just using it as the value control card and also using it as crazy win condition 20 guild gate card. Um, So that's very cool. All in all, I'd say a pretty, so far, successful pro tour. Obviously, we don't have the top 8, so we don't know if anything happened there that would take away from that. Um, and then finally, I just want to give a shout out to Josh Underladen. Look at that super aggro y 1 and 2 drop deck. I love it. Yeah,
2: it's great. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm, do we know if there are going to be more, uh, block formats coming up? Is next, what's next PTQ season? It's not block. No,
0: I don't think they're doing block PTQ seasons anymore. I think they've kind of gotten away from that.
2: That's so sad. Because, I mean, in, in, in all honesty, I thought this, um, from my stuff from this block, it looks great. It looks almost like a standard, like a like a medium middle of the world, uh, middle of the road like standard format on those, so which that was great.
0: I think, but I think one of the things they've just talked about is it's just really hard. They've they've learned over time. It's really hard to design a balanced block format that's also able to support standard in the way they want it to. And so you know for that reason, like they're fine showcasing it at grand prix's and at pro tours, but having a full season where people can really dig into block and eventually, you know, grind it out to the point where we end up with things like fairies or jun that everyone's playing or playing super anti that just uh was really hard to stop. Yeah,
2: I mean so best of luck to everyone at the top A, and at time of recording, I think there's like another what, T minus
0: hour or so? Uh yeah, should be starting in an hour ish from when we are recording this You're right? Oh here's really funny. Rob Castellan doesn't always drink beer, but when he does he belches fire. <laughs> I think my favorite one I saw was um, something like Rob Castellan is able to cast Force of Savagery and not lose it to state-based effects, <laughs> or something like that. ridiculous. <laughs> was just like what? Um, no, it's it's
2: a uh, it's uh, it's so the hashtag for those who are interested is, is uh, hashtag Rob Castellan um, facts, and basically it's it's been great. Um, for those of you... It hasn't trended anywhere,
0: anywhere, unfortunately. <laughs> no, I'm uh, not sure i suppose not, but if, but watching the coverage and just seeing random uh, facts sliding up alongside just makes you chuckle a little bit here.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, for example, Josh I'm so I'm, We're just going to go through a couple of the good ones. Rob Castle let me mulligan to eight, both games, to give himself a challenge. He still beat me very easily, That is what Ederladen said. Rob Castle spirit animal is 17 grizzly bears. <laughs> So a traditional man, Rob um, brought, uh bought his deck de- um, block deck list on IRC for five
0: dollars in, in 1850. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was, good. It, was it was like uh, Rob Castellon won his uh, first tournament with the miracle bonfire in 1995. <laughs> yeah, but when Rob Castellan plays two head giant, he
2: grows a second head. <laughs> yeah, I mean you guys, you guys should definitely check it out. We'll we'll, we'll include the hashtag. The search for the hashtag in the um, in the show notes, just because we can.
0: All right, but yeah, so uh, fun stuff for the pro tour, and actually pretty impressed with the coverage time compared to what's gone on in the past. Before, like I think they did a really good job. It really seemed kind of beefed up. Um, still some hiccups here and there, still some issues, but pretty you know smooth sailing for the most part. I yeah, think.
2: it's it's weird to think that they've been doing it for so long, and just now they've you know, they're they're finally starting to innovate. It's it's I think they've really taken a, a page from. How very huge events such as DreamHack in Europe and the um, MLG, the Major League Gaming in the United States, has approached these large events. And I think it's a a great sign of things to come. It's really building up this excitement, building storylines, and hopefully they'll continue to do this uh, moving
0: forward. So, pretty cool. You know, again, still some hiccups and still some issues here and there, but I think there's definitely some showing of improvement. Step in the right direction. So, let's see. In other news, we have... um... A massive batch of Magic twenty fourteen slivers. I guess you know with Duel of the Planeswalkers twenty fourteen coming, it's inevitable that we start to see some cards. We already talked about the slivers, which we have seen come out, but we've gotten some other stuff uh, in the last week as well. Looking at the new slivers, the aesthetic really doesn't do
1: it for me. There's a limit to how much you can anthropomorphize everything.
0: That's fair. Yeah, I'll give you that. And yet they do, and I, th- I think part of the reason they have made a distinction visually and artistically, is the fact that they are changed, um, given the new world order and how things are done. Like, they have switched from, you know, the symmetrical effect that they have before to being, just, you know, just for you, the slivers you control. And so I think part of that, like, that makes sense, like, to thematically make them look a little different given that they are kind of different from slivers in the past.
1: The problem is you, you have to look at what what's going to happen in modern. Because you've got the slivers here, and you've got the Myriad slivers from time spiral block. Somebody's going to build a deck there and it is going to be a nightmare in the mirror match.
0: No, yeah, you're, you're right. And that's something that, uh, Pete John, uh, talked about on the last, on his last state of the program this weekend. And I, and I thought it was a really interesting observation the idea that you can build a modern sliver deck, um, given that they are in time spiral with, you know, traditional slivers and then you have these new contemporary slivers and that can create some issues should you run into a situation where you're both playing a sliver deck. Um, which would be really awkward, uh, but but certainly could happen. The mental math would be crazy. It's like okay,
2: so let's do this. We both our silvers get plus two plus two. Neither only yours get plus o plus, o, plus one uh, plus zero plus one, but mine gets plus one plus zero. So and they all just die. <laughs> let's all flip a coin.
0: It can, it'll be very difficult to maintain the game state. Obviously in you know magic online, we don't have to worry about that. That's that's done for us, so we get to be lazy, but. I can definitely see an issue in paper, like, should slivers become competitive, which, given some of the ones that we've had previewed, I didn't think was originally possible, but with the recent release of souped-up might sliver, I think we, you know, that might change things. Basically, so we have predatory sliver now, which is one and a green for a one-one. Slivers you control get plus one, plus one. Um, so now he's might sliver without the drawback of helping out opposing slivers.
1: Which also has the uh, impact on... Um, older format sliver decks now having uh, 12 of those bastards.
0: Yeah, seriously, because you now have Mite Sliver, you have Sinew Sliver, and you have Predatory Sliver. Um, are they all common? Is sliver... uh, mu- Yeah, Muscle Sliver and um, uh, Sinew Sliver right, are. Yeah, I think. Sorry, Muscle Sliver, yeah. So, potentially a Popper deck as well. I don't know if that's an issue. I don't that's really going to keep... be fun. I don't really keep up with that format, so I don't know if that would be a problem or not, but I mean, the idea of. 12 grizzly bears that all make each other bigger. I mean, that just sounds like Legacy Merfolk all of a sudden, which is a surprisingly Brazilian deck at times, where you're just like, I'm just going to play lots of lords, and essentially all your creatures creatures are just lords of each other. There's
1: all sorts of tribes you can deal with now. Soldiers have a um, rather impressive
0: lords deck, to say nothing of the damned elves. (laughs) Very true. Uh, true. Uh, But the idea that you can build a lords deck in popper just seems a little silly. Pauper Lords, that's that's new. I'll give you, I'll give you that. That's new. Aside from the original Sliver deck, of course. Given that we now have the Megant- Megantic Sliver, is that even a word? No, it isn't. It's just a. I. It's.
1: They've given up. Okay.
0: I'm going to call it Mega Huge Sliver. So Mega Huge Sliver, uh, five and a green for three-three. Slivers you control get plus three plus three. That's some beef.
1: Yeah. It's a six-six for six, which makes all your other slivers your one ones into four fours. Your Two twos into five fives and anything bigger than that into your turn is already dead. Stop poking this
0: limits. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, this a bit, it, it just reminds me of collective blessing, uh, which was an annoying card in limited because you're like, oh, you know, the board's kind of balanced or, you know, you're a, a little ahead. The alternate like, yeah, everything has a permanent overrun. Oi. So, interesting card. A lot of interesting green cards have been released so far. I don't know why green's is a heavy favorite so far. Another, inch, another one I saw, which is just really cool, I think, is Savage Summoning. Uh, one green instant. Savage Summoning can't be countered. The next creature you cast this turn can be cast as though it has flash. That creature can't be countered, and it enters the battlefield with a plus-one, plus-one counter. Uh, so, I mean, you get to play a guy... For one green mana, you get to play a guy, instant speed, can't be countered, and he comes into play a little beefier. What was the old, original, uh, can't-be-countered uh, green instant from... Um... There was like an Odyssey one. I don't know. If there was this instance. There was a sorcerer one. It was like a, kind of like Overmaster. I can't remember what the name of it was, but you got to cast a creature. The next creature spell you cast the turn couldn't be countered, and you got to draw a card. But giving it flash as well. That's quite interesting. Yeah, a f- flash and a boost, and neither the creature or this card can be countered. It's very interesting. And it'll be, it'll be. It could have some uses, especially once Standard rotates uh, with the release of Theros, and we lose Cavern of Souls standard. Any, any cards catch your eye, AJ?
1: Aside from the uh, splashy ones, I'm quite interested that um, Watch Wolf is now mono-colored with a green-green 3-3 green uh, vanilla, Colonial Tusker. Um, yeah, funny. Green gets all the cool stuff. It's only for, it's
2: only for right now. We'll see. Yeah, it's, green gets all the cool stuff, then
0: blue gets a Jace, basically. So yeah, and then blue a gets a Jace, and black gets some interesting mono-black cards, and white gets you know what Johnny's chosen has the unique cards, and red gets... Well, Red gets the same, because they don't like Red. I mean, yeah. Red occasionally gets a liking bolt. Yeah. <laughs> Every now and again, and they're like, no, that was too powerful, we messed up. I quite like the um, uh,
1: latest uh, mass uh, Mastery Animator effect, Rise of the Dark Realms. Put all creature cards from all graveyards onto the battlefield under your control, for nine mana of which two black.
0: Yeah, it's 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 kind of, I think of it as inverse to Plaguewind.
1: And of course, the... Uh, real players um, cast both in the same turn off a couple of coffers uh, in a commander game. Again, if you've got 18 mana and
0: ridiculous amounts of uh, card selection, then uh, why not? Yeah, certainly certainly allowed. Grim Return I thought, was kind of an interesting card. Uh, two and a black. It's a, an instant speed three mana reanimator. Um, the only issue is that the creature that you're reanimating has to have died that turn. Yes. It's a
1: really nasty... Um, Anti Roth or anti um, edict
0: um, counter effect, I suppose. Well I was thinking like in conjunction with an edict. For example, you know, far and away is another card that started to see play. So if you could which one's the black one? Is that far? Or is that away? <laughs> I don't know. You do the anyways do the edict effect. Like say your opponent just casts like an Angel of Serenity to like get rid of your board or something like that. You could Edict did, and then Grim returned, and then it's like, well, you lose your angel, I get my stuff back, and I'm going to take your angel. Yeah, I,
1: th- I think the way is the black part, and far is the blue part, I believe. Yes. And not to mention how fun this would be in Commander. One of the most uh, nicely opportunistic backstabbing cards you can imagine.
0: Yeah, that's true, because you can just wait around for other people to do machinations to blow up someone else's big fatty, and you're like, oh, that was cool, I'm going to borrow that.
1: The so person on my right has just tapped out for a Roth. Everything is dead. Yoink. Untap. Good game.
0: <laughs> you know, a couple of interesting cards. We haven't gotten a whole lot yet, and the, none of the official spoilers have really started yet. It's mostly just uh, stuff that's being released. One, one that I think is a huge note, uh, you know, before they did a promotional things, so like if you buy Duel the Planeswalker, depending on the platform, you can get a code to get a promo card. I think in the past they had done the Titans with, like, alternate art. Uh, but this year they did some promos, and one of them that's listed is Scavenging Ooze, the 2-mana 2-2 that exiles cards and grows bigger if it's a creature, um, which should come in handy as a kind of release valve for some of the combo decks uh, that, you know, seek to reanimate creatures. So, you know, pretty interesting, and also just a highly valuable card, seeing as that it's a, a legacy mainstay and only available in the Commander deck. Yes. Uh, So very cool that they're going to print that and make it widely available and now usable and modern as well. Let's move on.
1: And You Make the Card 4 has its um, final eight, which is... um, I suppose next week uh, You Make the Card 4 goes to its final four, which is somewhat even more apropos. But yes, we have the eight cards, which... I presume by the time you're listening to this, we will have the four cards, which um, results sure, of that
0: vote. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So basically what they've done is they've released the final eight cards, and they have put them into a top eight style bracket, um, and we're voting in pairs, so then one card will move on, and then we'll go to the four, and then we'll go to the two, and then we will have the champion. So we'll only go ahead and break down each uh, match matchup, quote unquote, I guess. Of course,
1: these matchups have been played out by the time you've uh, heard this, but uh, for the sake of those who weren't paying attention last week, here we go.
0: All right, so first up we have Consuming Contract. Probably one of the most interesting entries into the contest because it's not complete. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, the the blank. Yeah, at the beginning of your upkeep, you get to choose one. You draw two cards and lose two life, or destroy a target creature, or do some effect that is yet to be decided, or you lose the game you can't choose the same mode twice. Um, and that is going to be faced up against Double Down, which is exile two cards with the same name from Graveyards, draw a card.
2: Consuming Contract is definitely the winner in my head. Um, I, I just thought it was so much... It was so funny. The original blank, by the way, was cast a spell without paying its mana cost, which is a little broken. Yeah, I was just going to say, but the blank is something that's... You know, there's a possibility you can't do. For example, like, uh, return a land to your hand or, or destroy a target land. Or not destroy talking Man, but like a return of Lance to your hand, or a couple of other things, you're going to be seeing this card really like costing people the game. Like you lose the game, and that'd be crazy.
0: Yeah, but I, I don't know. For me, this one just came down to which card do I dislike the least. Like, I just don't really like Double Down. It just seems incredibly narrow, and it, it would have to be incredibly cheap, cheaply costed in order to be useful. And I know there's a big backlash against it because it's not commander friendly in any way, shape, or form.
2: Yeah, and it's just not very... I just don't think it's as interesting a card as Consuming Contract. Like, the idea of having a card, you know, like, consuming you, like, you... It really helps you out the first two modes. And the third mode has probably a third third tertiary effect. And then occasionally, or eventually,
1: it's going to kill you. Like, we don't know how, but it's going to, so... Yes, or you bounce it back into your hand and recast it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the more likely use of it, I see. Draw two cards, kill something, bounce this back to your hand. Double down, I look at it, and the first thing which comes to mind are um, either the new-you-can-have-as-many-of-these-in-your-deck-as-you-want um, you uh, cards from uh, the M14 previews, or uh, Relentless Rats, and either way, it it's, it's very linear stuff, doesn't really uh, appeal that much. Moving on, the next match-up, we have the evocatively named Blood in the Watering Can, which is at the beginning of the end step. At each end step, if you've lost life this turn, you may return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand versus mass mummification. This enters the battlefield with 13 bandage counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, each player's life total becomes the number of bandage counters on this, then remove a bandage counter from this. So sort of a doomsday clock which um, slowly ticks down. Yeah, this one's a little bit harder
2: for me. I actually do like Blood in the Water in terms of its Name, I think, I think the effect's very powerful. Correctly costed. It will have some very nice effects uh, in play, if not in Commander, for sure. But man, Mass Modification just, is just so interesting.
0: Yeah, these two cards, like, for me it would really come... I really wish we had the casting costs already, or projected cast, casting costs, because I feel like that's what's going to make the difference, at least for me. Because you're right, these are both interesting effects that can do some really cool things and have some really interesting ways to build around them. The problem is, like, they can be really interesting or really useless depending upon what these are costed at.
1: You see, the trouble with mass mummification is each player's life total becomes the number of bandage counters on this. Essentially, combat doesn't matter. Life drain effects don't matter. Life gain doesn't matter. Life loss doesn't matter because at the end of each turn you're going to hit me at 13 or 12 or 11 or
0: 10 or whatever. Well, here's, and here, that's kind of how I originally felt, and I, I thought it was weird, but. I, I was reading through the threads and I actually saw the the guy who came up with mass mummification and kind of the way he talked about what he was thinking when he designed it, and he had a good point in talking about how um, often black decks, especially mono black decks, use their life as a resource for other things. So for example, it's and it's a way to undo that. So you can gain an advantage by having mass mummification in play and having dark components. Because you get to draw additional cards and then whatever life you lose isn't a big deal because you'll be reset back to that. And there are also other interesting things like, um, you know, was it? Soren's Vengeance is the, the card that deals exactly you know, 10 damage to a player. So if you find a way to manipulate the resources with Phyrexian Arena type effects or dark compound effects, you can find that and then in a few turns they go get reset to 10 and then you just zap them and they're out. Now the other thing to worry about here, two of them in play. Ooh, that's interesting. I didn't even think about
2: that. Oh my head! Hurts. I mean that's 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 easy actually. You, you stack it's it they both trigger if you own both of them. You choose which one goes on first, and your life goes to whatever it becomes right afterwards. If you yes. and your opponent have one, then you know you, it stacks in the correct order. So,
0: well, it, it's only during your upkeep. So we, if if you each had one, it'd be fine. But you having one, it'd be interesting because you can manipulate. You know, if you have one at like six counters and one at eleven counters, it's you can make some interesting choices depending on the turn.
2: Yeah, you can also you can you know give yourself thirteen in between the triggers, uh, pay X life, do a couple of things, and reset to the higher life total. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: Or well, since it's both players, you could use the higher life total, drain yourself for whatever effect you want to do, then apply the um, lower one to your opponent and swing for that.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that'd be very interesting, um, depending on the delay you had and wh- when they're played, is the cool effects you could do with it. So I, I the card grew on me. Needless to say, when I saw the post from the the creator, the other thing. But on the other hand, I did like Blood in the Watering Can originally. Like you said, cool name, and just the idea of like I really liked Oversold Cemetery, like back in the day, and it kind of reminds me of that card. But the idea that I could activate it by like activating a sack land, uh, losing a life, and then getting a free creature back seems pretty cool. And of course, it's a. um it's not. It's got a
1: nice bit of rattlesnake to it for uh, multiplayer games, using the old Antonio Longi scale. Um, somebody attacks you, then you get to get, get something back. If
0: there's somebody else to attack, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's got some interesting things going on there as well. So I, I think they're both really interesting cards, and for me, it really comes down to what their, their casting cost is. I don't remember which one here that I voted for, honestly, but. They're both pretty interesting cards, I
1: think.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Moving on to the next pairing, we have Soul Feasters Rising. Whenever a creature's died, exile it and put a Risen Counter on this. As long as this had five or more Risen Counters on it, it's a 7-7 Demon Creature and has this has all activated abilities of all creature cards exiled by this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Versus Revenge of Necromancy. Whenever an opponent discards a creature card, put a 2-2 two, two black zombie creature token onto the battlefield. Whenever an opponent discards a land card, add 2 black to your mana pool. Whenever an opponent discards a non-creature, non-land card, draw a card.
2: Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, Mass Modification versus Blood in the Watering Can, to me, feels like you know, Kentucky playing against Louisville in the first round, right? Like in the Elite Eight versus in the Final Four. And this is another similar thing. I would prefer either of the previous two cards to either of these cards, right? Yeah. Um but if I had to choose, if I really, really had to choose. I, I guess I have to choose soul e- Easter's
1: Rising. Yeah, Solve Easter's Rising. Uh, Revenge of Necromancy. It's awkward. It's clunky. It's got dozens of different effects stapled onto it, and it's basically just a Megrim.
2: Yeah, I just, I just like don't see the flavor of it. And I'm not. I'm like more of a, more of a Spike, obviously, than a. Or then uh, whatever, v- v- four thousand, uh, yeah, four or whatever. But you know, there has so there is something to be said about being that type of card that really like is like makes you feel like you understand what's happening. Like, Sophie, though, I don't yeah. know who the heck Sophiester is, but you can that you can sort of see souls. like what he's doing, you know.
1: So. Yes. Uh, people are dying, uh, their souls are powering his rise, which uh, means that he can use their powers when he comes. Yep. Um, revenge and Necromancy, even the name is, it's, mm, it, none of this, I mean, Necromancy suggests it affects the graveyard, revenge suggests, well, then we've got revenge, that sort of thing.
0: I don't, see, I don't see how you're taking revenge when you're punishing your opponent for already punishing him, because you're getting an extra effect when you discard. Like that's not revenge. That's just beating you up even more. <laughs> it's like it's like this is how like it's
2: like it'd be like the revenge of the jocks, right? Like it's like yeah, like we beat you guys up and you retaliate, so we're gonna destroy you.
1: It's more it's more sort of I mean yes, I'm entirely in favour of the concept of getting your revenge in first, especially when I'm playing commander, but it jars here. It's it's the whole thing. It's a bit of a thumbs down for me. It's a mishmash. It's badly named, and the effects don't really tie together.
2: Yep. And so, I mean, I think this is a very clear win for uh, win for Indiana. I think over the sixteenth seed, whoever that is. So, yeah. just tossing so, some that... references in there.
1: Whoever is up against Soul Feast is rising in the next round. I reckon they got a good chance.
2: Yeah, and and that's because the next round has some very interesting creatures here, or not creatures, enchantments. Sorry.
1: Yes. Yeah, so let's look on the last pairing here we have Eldritch Rites which is sacrifice a non-token creature you may cast target black instant or sorcery card from your graveyard if that card will be put to your grave from this turn exile it instead uh, versus demonic bargain This enters the battlefield with X doom counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, remove a doom counter from this and draw a card. Then, if this has no doom counters on it, sacrifice it and put a 5-5 black indestructible demon token with flying onto the battlefield under an opponent's control.
0: (laughs) Fun. Yeah, Yeah. I just, I don't know. Like, I read this and it just immediately struck me as, like, just a a not as good Phyrexian arena. Like a Phyrexian arena that punishes you later on in the game um, and stops being Phyrexian arena. (laughs) Well, my first
1: thought when I saw this was um, gather specimens. Hmm, that's actually
0: a good corollary. I, I got to refresh, refresh my memory on gather specimens. And I'll... Oh, it's the it's the
2: the one with the crazy eagle looking guy, which was like if an instant, if a creature would come into play under your opponent's control this turn, uh, it comes under play under your in control instead. And so basically, like he's what Age is referring to is the combo where you like uh, gather specimens it, into you, <laughs> into your, God. into your side of the game. All right,
1: yeah, that seems pretty good. Yes, so draw cards, and then when you stop drawing cards, get a free indestructible Fly 5 demon from right. flying. Um, yeah, I'm, like, again, I think, for me, the Eldritch Rites is a clear winner here.
2: I think the the flavor of it is very solid. It's like, look, I'm sacrificing these creatures to get a black incident or sorcery card from my graveyard. I also think it's very well-balanced. I think having black incident or sorcery is, like, a very cognitive, like cognizant choice made by the designer. To realizing that, look, if we, like... Left it be any instant sorcery, it'd probably be too good. <laughs> so it's uh, but I mean, that makes me sad. If it was any instant, or, um, instant sorcery, probably in standard, I use it in a black red deck where you you beat in, and then once you can't start beating in, you stop you start sacking your little one ones and burning a people's face. But having a black instant sorcery is a little bit more balanced. Uh, I think there's a lot of thought put into it, it seems to really go with the flavor. The my bargain, like, unless literally it costs black and X. I just don't see it being that great, and even that black and X, I don't think it's that great
1: either. The problem I have with Eldritch Rights is it's it's not original. It's Toshiro Umezawa with a couple more
0: restrictions. Hmm. See, and I, I saw a lot of people say that, um, but but to me, like thinking about it, it seems like it has more possibilities because Tashira Mizawa works so differently. Like, with, immediately, like when I see this card, my mind goes to things like Bloodgast and Gravecrawler, where sacrificing the creature is not a significant burden on me, or even weirder things like Mind Slicer, to where not only is it not a burden, but it actually is a bonus for me to get rid of this creature, and things like that. And then getting the, the bonus effect that have already used you know, cards in your graveyard is just awesome to me. I don't know why, it, it seems like they would just want to, like, wording-wise, maybe just give the spells flashback instead, because um, if you cast them, it's not... You have to pay their mana cost, so it seems like you're really just giving those instants or first reach flashback. But, I don't know, I really like it. But then again, I also really like the Ogmouth Agenda, and I guess this card kind of reminds me of that, in a way. Uh, so that may be part of it.
1: The other aspect here is snapcaster mage with a disadvantage rather than an advantage.
2: I mean, it's, it's a consistent effect, though, right? And so uh, the, the, the real flavor of black is taking these disadvantages that we perceive to be disadvantages, just like losing life, Losing cards, losing creatures, and changing them into this like weird type of like pseudo advantage, um, and that's and I think that's very flavorful in my opinion.
1: Uh, the other thing which gets me is how it works with rebound and other things which exile it, which exile themselves as part of their effect. Um, say for example the rebound um, uh, consuming vapors, which you. have when you cast it, uh, causing your opponent to sacrifice a creature and gaining life equal to its um, toughness, um, then exiles itself to be recast the following turn. Effects which um, do this sort of thing, um, you'd essentially be able to infinitely loop it.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point that I hadn't thought about. Um, you know, rebound with Eligible rites I'm sure there's some way to word that to fix it. Maybe flashback does that, I don't know. I'd have to go look at the rules on rebound. Again, but I'm sure they will take that into consideration, but it is an interesting point. Uh, but I still, I still favor Eldritch Rites personally over the money Party, because, you know, like Sebastian said, even if it costs like black and X, I just, I don't see it being that great. Uh, but you know, so that's, you know, kind of where we stand, but obviously this has already been decided, so we will see how our predictions hold up on, you know, Monday, I guess you'll already know about what the final four is going to be
1: and uh, we shall see which uh, we shall choose next week for the final two, or final one, as the case may be. Absolutely. All
0: right. Well, that is kind of going to cover our news for this week, so let's talk about some prices. Um, So looking at Dragon's Maze, you know, the general trend, as is often the case when going from the pre-release time to the release time, has been down. (laughs) Uh, Some people took some big hits. Uh, We have a couple cards that normally, you know, we would no longer keep track of. They were over a dollar and are now around twenty to forty or eighty cents. Like Beck and Call, Plasm Catch plasma Capture, and Gaze of Granite have all plummeted. A big name that plummeted is the you know, interesting is it planeswalker Rao Zarek, who was up at around twenty and is now down to about eleven. Yep. Lost about half
1: his value. Um remains to be seen if he can rebound. Or if he's uh, just a uh, quirky planeswalker rather than a uh, um, windmill slam and win the game planeswalker.
0: And taking a huge hit was the ever popular voice of Resurgent going from 3460
1: to 3459. Yep, that's uh, a truly epic fall which has uh, left everyone trembling in its wake as it hit the
0: ground. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just funny because, and it, and it actually did go down at one point, I think I saw it as low as about 26 on MTGO Traders, but then they kept selling out, it would go up a dollar or two, then they sold out, it would go up a dollar or two then it sold out, and then, you know, it just kept going and going. It's not unsimilar that's a word it's not unlike what happened to Bonfire of the Damned when it first came out in Abus Restored. it was highly hyped, it was very expensive during release time it came down, but then people were like, no, you still need four copies it's really good, and so then it worked its way right
1: now, there are a few outliers which have increased their price. Uh, Maze's End is actually a card, apparently.
0: Yeah, like we talked about earlier, you know, Thawing Glacier's style effect is is pretty good, and so it actually went from about two, just under two, to just over three um, in return, And then also the breakout control finisher Aetherling uh, was sitting at three and has now made his way up to just over five. Aside from that,
1: you have... Um Let's see any others which have maintained or Yep. Legion's
0: initiative has gone up an entire seven cents. Ooh, yeah, you better get it now before I mean what if it does that again? It goes up to five fourteen. Uh one that was another interesting one, Blood Baron of Vishkopa, Kind of the same thing as Voice of Resurgence, only on a smaller scale. It was at ten fifty one, went down to about eight or so, and it's now made its way back up, proving itself as a good control finisher, and it's back at around eleven.
1: Couple of surprises. Grades of Granite is um uh, for a mass wrath, for a mass destruction effect, um, doing surprisingly well at
0: uh, just 42 a tick a um, card. A couple others that have just worked their way down: Sire of Insanity has kind of cut in half on its price. Savage Born Hydra is down. Council of the Absolute is down. A lot of those mythics that just had value because they're mythics and it was during the pre-release time have uh, kind of cut down in value, seeing as they don't see a whole lot of play. But other than that. You know, just kind of staying in that area, we're going to see a general trend downward, I imagine, except for from some of the mythics that start to see some real play. Like, I think even Aetherling will start to come down, especially with as much DGM as being drafted right now as a regular rare. He'll come back down a little bit, but he'll probably stay in that range as long as he's useful, and I think he'll be useful for quite some time.
1: And again, it is a uh, six mana uh, card, which even as a control finisher, you're probably only going to see a couple per
0: deck. And that and that was the interesting thing, yeah. Typically, like I said, most people played like two copies, maybe one of the main, one of the board, or two in the main deck, and maybe one sideboarded. There were a couple people that just really fell in love with it in control and they wanted like three in main one of the sideboard to bring in or uh something to that effect. But yeah, you're right. Not not always a guaranteed four of and a regular rare, so I wouldn't count on them going too much higher.
1: And there's always the possibility of the format being fast enough for a six drop to be um
0: unthinkable. And really, a 7-drop, honestly, if you think about it a lot of the time. Um, maybe even an 8-drop, depending on the format. night. All right. Uh, that kind of covers the prices for Dragon's Maze for this week. We'll keep an eye on that, and also look at what happens with Standard and the rest of block going forward. But for now, we'll go to our question of the week. What do you make of the new slivers?
1: Fricassee them, maybe. Get a nice bit of an au gratin coating on top. Uh, Sauté for 20 minutes.
0: They come out quite nice. I don't know. I've heard they're a little gamey.
1: Yeah, there's there's certainly – they're a bit tough and um, uh, somewhat unpopular. On a more um, relevant note, um, just no. It's – you've taken one of the most iconic creature designs ever concocted whole cloth for the magic universe, and you've anthropomorphized it. I mean, seriously. Even with Kamigawa, snake tits were bad enough. This is just... You're anthropomorphizing something which was special and unique to your own thing?
0: It's very interesting, because, like, you know, if you look back on the backstory, like, the idea of the creation of Slivers and how they were, like, part of a whole, and that's, you know, the sense of why they were kind of like the Borg and that they all tied into one another um, and boost each other, it, it really doesn't make sense for them to say, well, we're boosting these slivers over here but these slivers over here yeah we don't really like you i mean maybe it could be considered some kind of evolution both in the look and design and the way they interact with other slivers something like that but i agree with you that you know it's it's a very successful fantasy concept that they created and that's hard to do in something like that you know in the the fantasy genres to create something new and have it be you know popular and sustainable and then you go and completely turn it on ten this is the holiday Christmas special of the slivers. Um, and then even beyond that, aside from like the, the flavorful side, at a power level standpoint, it really detracts from them and it takes away from the matchup. Like Pete did a really good job of talking about this and how sliver matchups are really intense matchups to play and trying to figure out you know, what the, the correct line of play was and what you're supposed to do given that it is a symmetrical effect. And you have to be cognizant of that and think far ahead and consider what your opponent could do to manipulate the board state. Whereas now, they're, it's just very obviously, yeah, I play my slivers and keep boosting my slivers. And the other effect of that is that because they are no longer have the drawback of being symmetrical, they're not as aggressively costed as they used to be typically, it seems. Because um, you could make them very aggressive when you knew your opponent had the chance to just play those and piggyback on them as well. Whereas here you don't, so they have to be a little more expensive, which takes them out of that realm of competitiveness, I feel, so far. Yeah. And,
1: of course, the various changelings, which are also Slivers, are uh, um, crying in their beds tonight that they won't get any of the new fun stuff unless they're on the same team.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, overall, I just I think it was a step backwards for Slivers. I would rather have them just not brought them back or created some new concept for whatever, maybe something to tie into Theros or something, but just to randomly... Like, yeah, we've done slivers, but we've updated them and made them a little different. They're not really slivers, but they're slivers. Yeah.
1: Um, It's like with allies uh, from Zendikar, which were concepted as a sort of super sliver kind of thing, but given a different uh, type to um, uh, because they weren't sliver slivers, per se. So
0: this is kind of exactly
1: like that, except they've just called it the slivers. I mean, technically, if you'd had this whole thing as allies rather than slivers and just gone with that, that could have been more... um, what if they'd have made them sliver allies? We've already got that with changelings, don't forget. Uh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Uh, sliver ally goblin elves, um, probably the most hated tribal um, concoctions ever. But thankfully, there's only 19 cards with a few sub- super types, which um, are unlikely to crop again.
0: Uh, yeah, but don't let us, you know, jade you on the slivers. If you have opinions, if you like them, if you think they're a neat fix, if you have some thoughts on them that we didn't touch on, please let us know. Uh, you can leave a note in the show notes and, uh, tell us how you feel. Yes. Uh, don't worry about us jading you. Wizards will do a perfectly good job of that themselves. That's true. They're, they're masters there. <laughs> Alright, AJ, that kind of wraps things up. What you've been playing?
1: I was a single from tribal event at the weekend. I went with an angel angle um lots of roths uh lots of um big splashy evasive things which sometimes worked oddly enough uh, one against the slivers deck was particularly successful but sometimes run into mana difficulties which you'd expect with a fairly high costed tribe
0: yeah that's true there's a, there's only so many small tribe members and on a side note Angle angel would have probably made a pretty good unglued card
1: it's still good maybe they'll do the next um unglued set with it in there if they ever do an unglued
0: set again. What, how could they wrap them un, un, Unraveled? What could they even do to be the, the third part of the block? Unplugged. Ah, look at you. Well played, sir. All right, well, you know, good effort, I guess. And, uh, you know, Angels are a tricky tribe, like you said, because they're so high-end. But I know you've made that work before with your some of your crazy, expensive tribes. As for myself, I have just been indulging in the ridiculous format of Triple Dragon's Maze Limited. Um... Which is ridiculous. I mean, obviously, it's not designed to be played that way. It was created for Dragon's Maze. What is the second set? I'm blanking here.
1: It's uh, designed for play in the entirety of the um,
0: yeah. Return to Ravnica Guild Pack. I wanted to say Guild Pack. I'm like, no, that's not right. Yeah, it's supposed to be played, you know, Dragon's Maze, Guild Pack, Return to Ravnica. Sorry, I could not think of the second set to save my life. But yeah, so it's, it's interesting because it seems like they've taken, you know, the spin to slow down. Like, Return to Ravnica was a fairly fast draft format. Guild Pack was a very fast um, very, very fast draft format. Gate Crash is even faster. Or gate crash, sorry. Man. Uh, yeah, you're right. Gate crash was very fast. And in this one, you see a huge switch. There are so many four toughness creatures that it is maddening. Um, between the gatekeepers and just various walls. There's zero fives, there's one fours, there's one fives. It and the clue stones also being a critical point of three mana to accelerate it just makes for a much, much different format, and I'll be, I'll be curious to try it in the true DGR, uh, draft once these are over, but for now I'm gonna keep accumulating, uh, Dragon Base cards and having fun in a goofy format while it's available. And I'm doing okay, I think I've won, uh, three or four, uh, out of probably, I don't know, ten or so, and I've been starting to win more as i play played them. That's rough going at first, but
1: does make you wonder if uh, all draft formats from this format, including uh, reprints, um, would be in the um, last of first set. How do you distinguish between this RGD and the last one?
0: Well, this one's is, is DGR, the Dragon Maze, Gate Crash, Return to Ravnica. But yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that they managed to come up with the draft code being identical for both of them with RGD and RGD. Um,
1: although it does complicate if somebody's trying to draft all six in a uh, Ravnica explosive Pla- extravaganza.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I'm still rooting for them to do the throwback format towards the end where we get, we do a sealed format where it's Ravnica, Guild Pack, Ascension, Return to Ravnica, Gate Crash, Dragon Base, doing RGDDGR
1: sealed. In the same vein, you could probably do um, the two Mirrodin blocks uh, together. Um... They did an event like that, didn't they, at one point, where you got all six, one of each pack? I think they did something along those lines. Yeah, I suppose the other block you could do that for would be the Atari ones, um, which would essentially be uh, Odyssey standard. So perhaps not the best idea. Yeah, that
0: sounds like really, that'd just be a goofy, small microcosm of a not great standard format in my mind. Odyssey onslaught.
1: Yeah, it was okay, but it wasn't great. It was a very spiky era. But um...
0: enough reminiscing on the past. I believe that's going to do it for this week's episode of the podcast. If you, as always, if you have any questions, any comments, any constructive criticisms you can feel free to contact us at freedfromtherealmpgo at gmail.com. You can leave us a comment in the show notes, or you can bug us on Magic Online or Twitter or any other typical medium. I believe that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Until next time, goodbye.